I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate? I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. I particularly was always a fan of um, the Chili Mac and um, Chicken Noodle. Some other people really like the breakfast meal. It has this granola in it, which is actually really good. So everybody has their favorites. This is Army National Guard Captain Paul Osby. He served three tours in Iraq, and he's talking about MREs, which stands for Meals Ready to Eat. These meals are a big part of what service members eat when they're on combat tours. And MREs have to meet very specific requirements. They have to stay preserved in pouches without refrigeration, sometimes for years. So there are culinary limits. There's only so many foods you can make into an MRE. They're not too bad. Some are better than others. But thanks to new technology and evolving tastes, MREs are changing in a big way. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. This week, we're bringing you an episode from our friends at the podcast Proof from America's Test Kitchen. The show tells weird, surprising, and funny backstories around food. And this episode is about a food that most of us are not exposed to in civilian life, MREs. Here's the host of Proof, Kevin Pang. MREs usually come in an 8 by 6 inch brown pouch, In each pouch, you'll find an entree, a side dish, a dessert, a cracker, a powdered drink, assorted seasonings, and a flameless ration heater that warms up the food right inside the pouch. While MREs have improved over the years, no one will say it's a four-star meal. But that's not the goal anyway. In recent years, more MRE options have been developed to reflect the diverse backgrounds of its service members. Recent entrees include Mexican-style chicken stew, cheese tortellini and tomato sauce, and a beef goulash. The military updates its menu of 24 MRE options regularly and adjusts the selections based on surveys. But before 2018, there was one dish that came up again and again as the most requested MRE. Pizza. But how exactly do you make a pizza that can sit inside a pouch for years and still be served safely and deliciously? Today on Proof from America's Test Kitchen, the five-year quest to create a battle-ready pizza. We take you behind the scenes of a military facility to bring you a story of science, grit, and ingenuity. Producer Alex curran Cardarelli brings us today's story. Okay, rapid fire. What are the first three things that come to mind when you think of MREs? For me, I'm thinking spam, beans, and soup. They're foods that you usually keep in your basement in case you're snowed in, or worse, to prepare you for the end of the world. For a long time, if you were a warfighter on the battlefield, you carried around food in cans. By the way, we'll be using the word warfighter instead of soldier throughout the episode. 
since each branch of the military has different names for their members. Warfighter is all-encompassing. Anyway, these canned foods were known as combat rations, or sea rats. Back in the 80s and 90s, the variety and taste of these MREs weren't exactly top of mind. In fact, their reputation was far from gourmet. During the first Gulf War, there were only 12 MREs. So every third or fourth day, you were going to have the same thing again. And that was provided you liked all 12, and there wasn't one that you despised and preferred a different one. That's David Aceta. He's the chief of public affairs at, here it goes, the U.S. Army Combat Capabilities Development Command Soldier Center. It's in Natick, Massachusetts. Thankfully, it's usually referred to as the DEVCOM Soldier Center. It's here where all the operational rations produced for the military are developed and approved under the Department of Defense's Combat Feeding Directorate. David served 21 years active duty in the U.S. Army, so he has firsthand experience eating MREs. So the name of the menu is really what the main entree is. There'll be a whole bunch of other things in it. But this one is beef and barbecue sauce. Lauren Alexic also understands that lack of variety in MREs, but from a different perspective. Lauren recently retired as the team leader of food engineering at DEFCOM. She's had years of developing MREs under her belt. After the Gulf War, Lauren said that the soldiers' feedback on MREs was so bad that word went all the way to the top of the chain of command. The very top. Yes, my boss at the time, Jerry Darsh, uh, he was the director of combat feeding, and he was called down to the Pentagon, as the story goes, um, to see General Powell, who... As in the General Colin Powell. He was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the time. Who said, fix it. Those were his two words, fix it, meaning fix the MRE, fix the combat feeding staple, you know, as far as your rations go. And that was that. In 1991 and into 1992, DEVCOM launched the MRE Improvement Program. As part of this program, warfighters were asked, what kind of MREs would you want to eat? Pizza was number one. We heard it all the time. We'd love to have pizza in the MRE. They have it in training facilities. They have access to pizza all the time. What they didn't have was pizza out in the field. But this pizza couldn't just be your standard frozen or delivery pizza. MREs have a specific list of requirements to meet. They need a shelf life of at least three years. They need to be accepted by all six branches of the military. And they need to withstand parachute airdrops from over a 1,000 feet. To tackle this, DEVCOM formed what they called the pizza team. It was a group of 12 people, which included microbiologists, nutritionists, and a chemical engineer. And the person who would lead this A-team? Well, she was made for the job. When did you realize you wanted to become a food scientist? When I was two. No, just joking. (laughs) Could you erase that? Michelle Richardson is a senior food technologist at DEVCOM. And in the 34 years she's worked there, Michelle's changed the way the U.S. military eats. Some of her food innovations include different types of shelf-stable sandwiches. There's barbecue chicken, Italian, as well as a barbecue beef and nacho beef. Michelle is hilarious and disarmingly modest. The way she talks about these scientifically impressive innovations is the way someone else might talk about what they had for breakfast that morning. These innovations were just something she did. 
She's also a perfectionist. My overall goal is not only to make the pizza taste good, but to make sure bacteria can't grow. So you have to be a perfectionist when you're dealing with safety. But in spite of her and the pizza team's credentials, their mission to create a shelf-stable, ready-to-eat pizza was more difficult than they ever could have imagined. A few months ago, Kevin and I headed to DevCom headquarters. It's about a 45-minute drive from America's Test Kitchen in Boston. DevCom is a U.S. military facility, so security is tight. Kevin and I stood outside, and the first thing we did was dig into our bags. We added new batteries into our recorder and removed the shotgun mic we'd be using for the interviews. And the thing to know about a shotgun mic is that, well, it looks a bit like what it's named after. Immediately, two guards with M4 rifles jumped out of their post and told us to stop what we were doing. But after they realized we were harmless podcast producers, we were allowed past the gate. Inside the secured facility is a massive kitchen that reminds me of the TV studio where we shoot episodes of America's Test Kitchen. I mean, it really reminds me of the ATK General Kitchen. There's a scale, there looks like a big mixer there. There's dough, obviously, on the counters. This, though, was America's Armed Forces test kitchen. The DevCom crew, which consists of David, Michelle, and Lauren, who you heard from earlier, let us sample some of the food they've helped create over the years. We tried these ration bars, which come in a variety of flavors, including coconut key lime, s'mores, and cookies and cream. They're usually given to warfighters as a meal replacement bar. The silver packaging label read, Sound ultrasonically formed bar. Sound waves to create food? This absolutely blew my mind. Instead of adding binders like syrups to hold ingredients together, DevCom uses a tool called an ultrasonic agglomerator. From a distance, it looks like a fancy microscope. This ultrasonic agglomerator uses the energy from sound to hold all the particles of the ration bar together in a compact block. So that's pretty cool. And it's only a sample of just how complex MRE engineering can be. Lauren, the retired team leader, explained that when it comes to the food warfighters carry, every ounce matters. We're trying to make rations smaller and lighter. Mm -hmm. So if you can compress all those ingredients into a very compact bar, you get more nutrients, more calories um, in a smaller space. And then you can put more into a ration bag and they can take a lot more food and calories with them. It was actually a senior food engineer named Dr. Ann Barrett who came up with this idea to apply this technology to ration bars. Lauren explains. And I would say Ann's claim to fame is that she has a knack for taking technologies that aren't necessarily developed for the food industry and seeing where there's application in the food industry. So this is not a new technology itself, but it is for food compression. As I unwrapped the ration bar, I noticed that the texture wasn't dense or heavy. It was loosely held together. It'd break apart if I squeezed it too tightly. It was flaky and... Oh my God, this is my favorite. I think it's my favorite too. It tastes like a mocha I could get at Starbucks. This is incredible, I'm gonna have another bite. After our tasting, we went to a room called the Warfighter's Cafe. It's not so much a cafe as it is a conference room with MRE paraphernalia. There's a display of boxes containing rations from over the years. 
and each pile of boxes is smaller than the next. Lauren, again, reinforces the importance of size. This is only intended for five to seven days of supply, but that, I showed you the compact ration, the CCAR is much smaller and more compact than the first strike ration, and that is where the technologies of compression and drying allow that to happen. So all the agglomeration, the compression, the drying technologies are intended for that ration because we're trying to make it smaller and lighter. Everything needs to be more compact so that they can carry more with them. There's all kinds of rations that are highly specialized for certain situations. They even come in different colors to camouflage the environment they're in. Tan for when you're in a desert and white for cold weather locations. Everything about the MRE, down to its packaging, is engineered for a competitive edge. So, what went into developing and engineering the MRE pizza? In order to create an MRE pizza, the pizza team would need to overcome three important obstacles. First, they would need a shelf-stable bread that could last up to three years without going moldy. Second, they would need to ensure that over time, the tomato sauce didn't seep into that bread, making it soggy. And finally, they would need a cheese that not only tasted good, but maintained its yellow hue. The first task of developing shelf-stable bread had actually started in the 1980s. In fact, it was one of the first projects that Lauren, the previous team leader of food engineering, had worked on when she first joined DevCom. Well, for bread to become part of a field ration, we had to meet that three-year shelf life requirement. And as you know with bread, you're lucky to get a week out of a loaf of bread. Developing a standalone shelf-stable bread was challenging. But Lauren had several breakthroughs. First, she discovered that she would have to use unleavened bread. That means bread that doesn't have any rising agents, like yeast. Second, she found the exact measurement of ingredients that would control the moisture so it wouldn't get soggy. And finally, she realized she needed an airtight environment to hold the bread. To make that happen, Lauren's team sealed the bread in foil packaging while it was still warm. This creates a vacuum that reduces the amount of oxygen in the packaging. They also add a little iron packet, like the ones you see in a bag of chips to keep them from going stale, which absorbs any oxygen that's left over. This configuration left no room for chemical reactions to take place, meaning no stale or moldy bread. With those three elements combined, Lauren arrived at the perfect formula. This shelf-stable bread was even patented. Now that a shelf-stable bread had been created, DevCom wanted to use that bread to develop an MRE pocket, or a hot pocket-like sandwich. The one that our team developed was an Italian pocket, and it contained Italian sausage and pepperoni. The challenge with combining bread with other ingredients like meat and cheese is that the water within them wants to migrate. It just wants to move. This tendency happens when something called the water activity is high. Water in food can be in two states. Bound water, which is when water is attached to molecules in the food, and free water, which is when the water isn't attached. So it's available to evaporate and travel within the ingredients. And because free water can travel, it will migrate into a neighboring piece of food until the two ingredients' water activities are the same. So when the water activity is high, it means that there's lots of free water mingling throughout the food. 
This can increase the likelihood for the food to grow bacteria, yeast, molds, and we really don't want that. So in an Italian pocket, like the one Michelle was developing, the moisture in the toppings will travel to the bread. And that also makes the bread soggy. But Michelle says, If they have the same water activities, then you won't get that migration. To keep the water activity low and stop the ingredients from mushing together, you have to use what are called humectants. Humectants are food ingredients that bind water very tightly. And so a typical humectant would be salt, sugar, any types of syrups. They bind water really nicely. But in order to make sure the bread didn't get soggy, it wasn't as simple as just adjusting the amount of salt, sugar, and acidity. You can only add so much salt to the product. You only can add so much sugar to an Italian pocket because you don't want it to be sweet. And so we had to balance the concentration of the different humectants. After many trials and errors, Michelle nailed down the perfect formula of humectants for the Italian pocket. This assured that there would be no room for bacteria to grow and no soggy bread. This innovation laid the groundwork for the MRE pizza. In 2013, the pizza team took a similar approach to control the water activity in the MRE pizza. They needed to get the ratio of acidity, sugars, and syrups right so that the sauce wouldn't seep into the bread. When you have five different ingredients with different moisture contents, different water activities, different pHs, like, how do you mix them all together and hope that the sauce doesn't run into the cheese, coloring the cheese? So I I think that was the most challenging. Finding the perfect balance of humectants for the pizza required a lot more work. Unlike a sandwich where all the elements are covered by bread, a pizza is open-faced. So if the sauce seeped into the bread, it would turn red. The team also needed to make sure that the ingredients would play nice with each other in the packaging. After all, the MRE pizza had to be shelf-stable for three years. After each analysis, Michelle and her team would package the pizzas, go back, make adjustments, and try again and again, just like we do in our test kitchen. So there's a lot of iterations of making the pizza. You know, you make it every day and you make, okay, so maybe I need to increase my cheese by 25% because when it's this, I'm not meeting my water activity or I'm not meeting a pH target. Sydney Walker, a research biologist on the pizza team, estimates that she made about 400 pizzas during the development process. And then do you have to taste test them yourself? Yes. Yes. Every single one. If I won't eat it, I won't expect anyone else to, so... That's why it's taken so long. I would go back and tell Michelle, oh, something isn't right, it's missing something. After hundreds of pizzas, it seemed like they were getting closer to solving the water activity issue. But it still needed to pass the storage test. Remember, it needs to be shelf-stable for three years. Can't do three years all the time, but we do what we call accelerated. I'll put the product in for four weeks at 120. That is 120 degrees Fahrenheit. These accelerated storage tests at higher temperatures were a way to mimic the pizza lasting at longer periods of time at 81 degrees. I'll have people evaluate it, give me feedback, and make changes based on, they may say, oh, it's too acidic, you know, or it's, the sauce doesn't have the flavor balance, you know, so maybe I might need to add more Italian spices or something like that. Michelle sent pizza after pizza through these storage tests. If I made pizza once a week, I probably had somebody evaluate it once a week. If I did four weeks at 120 in storage, I would have them taste it at time zero, two weeks, and four weeks. And I probably did that like several times. 
I can't give you a number, but I don't know if I can give you a number. Hundreds? Hundreds, yes, it was definitely hundreds. The final and last storage test that the pizza had to clear was six months at 100 degrees Fahrenheit. But there was one problem standing in the way. Coming up, the pizza team fights to get their MRE pizza over the finish line. That's after the break. Stick around. And now, a delicious word from our sponsors. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook. And now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in, like, in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, a smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. We have a dog. Her name is Sasha. She's almost four. She's a standard poodle. She's black and fluffy and soft and very adorable. And when we first got her, we took her to like this puppy kindergarten training class. The whole family went and, you know, they're teaching how to use the treats and all this. The trainer watched Sasha for a bit and said, hmm, she's very food motivated. And my daughter, Emily, turned to me and said, she's a Pashman. (laughs) And so she is food motivated. And that's why we make a point of feeding Sasha high quality pet food. Founded in Hereford, Texas, Merrick has been crafting high quality dog food for over 30 years. Real is Merrick's recipe. So they always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. Now, let me tell you something. When it's dinner time, Sasha is motivated, okay? She is highly motivated to come in from patrolling the backyard at dinner, to get up off the couch, whatever she's doing, she will drop it and come running. Check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn Best Buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. they got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. Are you ready for warmer weather? I know I am. 
But is your wardrobe ready? I just stocked up on spring and summer clothing at Quince. And let me tell you something. I feel great about everything I got. I got a couple of short sleeve button down shirts, polo shirt, some shorts. Everything feels great. It's super high quality. And I can't believe how much stuff I got at a reasonable price. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Whatever you need for the spring and summer, Quince has your back. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash sporkful for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sporkful to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash sporkful. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. Last week on the show, I talked with chef, recipe developer, and YouTube star Sola El-Waley. Her whole life, she knew she wanted to be a chef. When she started in culinary school, she says she was the most intense person there. And that intensity stayed with her when she opened her first restaurant with her husband, Ham. One of the most popular items in the menu was artisanal Pop-Tarts that Sola made by hand. The filling was like jams made from fruit from the market that cost so much. <laughs> You know, each each Pop-Tart had probably $10 worth of jam in it, and we charged $5 for the Pop-Tarts. Uh, and then uh, sprinkles that I piped one at a time, oh handmade my. sprinkles. You made sprinkles one at a time? I did, because, you know, like, you could make them faster if you just make, like, lines and break it, right. but I wanted them to have rounded ends. Sola just published her first cookbook, Start Here, so of course we discussed that, too. This is a really fun episode. I think you're going to like it. Check it out. Okay, back to this week's episode, which comes to us from the podcast Proof from America's Test Kitchen. Here's producer Alex Curran Cardarelli. At this point, the pizza team had perfected the bread. They also were able to get it so that the tomato sauce wouldn't seep into the bread or the cheese. This version of the MRE pizza tasted good, it met nutritional requirements. But after putting the pizza through the six month storage test, as soon as you look at it, you'll see that the cheese is brown. Michelle and Lauren call this effect browning. Browning occurs when food turns color as part of the aging process. Browning can be a positive thing in cooking, but in the pizza team's case, they did not want to see it happen to the cheese. Throughout the development process, a panel of sensory technologists are brought in to evaluate and rate things, like the appearance, texture, and overall acceptability of the pizza. Even though the pizza may have passed the health and safety tests, in the end, it still needed to smell, look, feel, and taste like a pizza. These technologists would then rate the pizzas on a scale of one to nine, one being the worst and nine being the best. The pizzas were scoring below a five. Lauren and Michelle remember it like this. Michelle and I were, she had solved so many other problems right. with, you know, the moisture migration and the just microbiology of it was where we wanted it to be. Everything was good, except for that browning. And we were very frustrated. Mm -hmm. And I think at one point we were deciding not to actually field it because the cheese was browning. It seemed like such a minor detail, but for Michelle and her team, this was something that had to be addressed. I think when people, they, they look at food, right? And sometimes when you look at it, that's gonna decide whether you like it or not. 
So if you have something that has nice, bright, typical colors, you're going to gravitate towards that. And the soldiers require nutrients. And the only way they're going to get it, if they consume it. And if it doesn't look good, it's less likely that they're going to consume it. The development of this MRE pizza was so much more than just making a safe, shelf-stable food. It was about developing a pizza that could do all of that and bring the satisfaction and comfort that a pizza can offer. It was about creating a food that the warfighters would want to eat after an exhausting day, offering them calories and nutrients, but also a little slice of home. Paul Osby, the Army captain from earlier, says that's vital out in the battlefield. High levels of stress can actually like um, make people not want to eat. So um, there is a, a comfort factor, I think, that plays a part there. So I think it's incredibly important, um, which is probably why you see fairly popular items in an MRE, right? It's, it's to, you know, not only like feed the body, but it maybe like feed the soul a little bit too. This is why the pizza team continued to test. After a third failed attempt, Michelle and Lauren called in the pizza team to put their brains together. How could they stop the cheese from turning brown? And then, a seemingly simple idea was raised. What about a different kind of cheese? We had been working with Bridford, and they had a company that actually made a low-water activity shelf-stable cheese that underwent less browning than the cheeses that we were using at the time. Hoping it would produce less browning, the team sent the pizza with the new cheese to the storage test and hoped that the fourth time would be the charm. Another six months of waiting until it was finally time for Michelle to check on the pouch. I didn't want to open the pouch because my fear was that it wasn't acceptable. Maybe there was just too much browning. And after doing it several times and not meeting your goal, it, it gets to be defeating. Yeah, so, you know, you open up the product, you looked at the product, you actually smell it to see if it has any storage odors and any off odors. And as a rule, I taste everything, you know. And then the moment of truth arrived. I was pleasantly surprised. Lauren remembers when Michelle came to her right after the inspection. It wasn't the browning that she had seen prior, so Mm -hmm. we knew that that final special cheese was the solution to the browning of the cheese. And that was one reason why it wasn't passing. She was very relieved, Mm -hmm. and I knew she could do it. I could see that look on her face at every withdrawal, like, that's why when you asked if she's a perfectionist, she is a perfectionist, I'll tell you right now. And, And if it wasn't perfect through that product development process, it takes a toll, you know? Mm-hmm. She wanted it to be just right, and, and it finally was. After five long years of testing, the pizza team now had a working prototype. In 2018, the shelf-stable MRE pizza was finally put into circulation. Well, I feel like we've arrived at the moment of truth. We're, we're here, for, it's lunchtime, right? <laughs> Kevin and I finally got to try the MRE pizza. It comes in two flavors, cheese or pepperoni. We ate a cheese pizza, which was made in 2021. David pours room temperature water into the flameless heater pouch. Inside the pouch is a small bag that looks like a hand warmer. It's filled with magnesium and iron. And once the water hits it, a chemical reaction occurs which heats up the pouch to 140 degrees. 
Almost immediately, we start to see steam. David then slips the MRE pizza into the pouch. You can see it's, it's steamy. You can feel it down here. It's starting to get hot. Carefully. Oh my God, it's actually really hot. It takes about eight to 10 minutes for the meal to heat up. And to ensure that the water stays in the bag, you have to lean it up against the rock or something. These were the actual instructions that were on the MRE package. Lean up against the rock or something. When Lauren and her team were writing the directions on the MRE packaging, they wondered what warfighters could lean the MRE pouch against to activate the heating mechanism. And one of her colleagues said, And he said, I don't know, a rock or something. And the designer took it and ran with it. And it's been on all MRE packaging ever since. The Army captain, Paul, was tickled we told him that I'd met the team who coined those instructions. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's always been a, a running joke because everyone thinks that's hilarious. David, DEVCOM's chief of public affairs, added this tidbit. An interesting note, uh, when we deployed to Saudi Arabia and then later to Iraq and Kuwait in 1991 in the first Gulf War, uh, there were great stretches of desert where there was just sand no, no and there rock. were no rocks. <laughs> you know, so you had to find the something, <laughs> which might have been your helmet, to uh, lay this on. So, after leaning it against the rock, or in my case, a water bottle, it was time to dig in. Oh my god. It's so chewy and soft. Kevin, go for it. Try a bite. It tastes like cheese, tastes like bread, tastes like tomato. It tastes like a pizza. And Alex just pulled off like a piece of the crust. I mean, it is just, it's really tender, like shockingly tender. This pizza's two years old that we're eating. That's insane. (laughs) I'm gonna have another bite because I'm actually hungry. The MRE pizza does indeed taste like a pizza. And of course, we had to take some back to the test kitchen in Boston. We asked our America's Test Kitchen colleagues, David Yu, Olivia Counter, and Kelly Song, to join our tasting. I'm excited. I've heard a lot about these MREs. I've actually watched a decent amount of stuff on them. Never tried them, though, so. I'm a little scared. I guess uh, I'm, I'm ready for it. <laughs> I've been prepared. They take a bite. It gives, it's all the pizza flavor I want. The texture is comforting. It's like a soft piece of bread with a little tomato and cheese on top. It's not as drying as I thought it would. It looks very dry, but it's so moist. My mouth is like, I'm like drooling. Mm. It reminds me of one of those lunches I had in elementary school where the pizza's in a cardboard box and it's in a plastic bag, which I guess doesn't bode well for the elementary school pizza. But it's good. It's like... It's like a Lunchables, you know? It's, it's hitting the spot. I think if I, if I really wanted pizza, this would do it for me. So, okay, it reminds me of pizza-flavored things, um, like combos, Lunchables, things like that. But the flavor's there. Um, it definitely, you know, you got that cheese a little, that tomato sauce. Um, yeah. We also had our PR director, Brian Franklin, try the pizza. He's in charge of publicity for one of the most iconic food brands in America. And ironically, in his words, is one of the world's pickiest eaters. It's not bad at all. Um, it's rare for me that I try stuff that I actually like, but this, look, compared, is it the best pizza ever? No. Is it the worst pizza ever? No. And 
um, I'd like to think if I were out um, in battle or in the field somewhere, this would be a, a welcome thing to eat. I didn't know what to expect, but it, it, it's decent. And it would definitely, for me, yeah, I, I could definitely eat it. Would you eat it for lunch today? Um, if it was between this and, like, a plain salad, oh, my God, I'd, I'd have this all the time. After I turned off the mic, Brian actually went in for another bite by choice. I turned the recorder back on. Yeah, I'm having another bite. I like the cheese a lot. They should sell this because I, I would buy it. And there you have it. America's Test Kitchen's most notorious picky eater was a fan. But in the end, it didn't matter what our test cooks, Brian, or even me and Kevin thought of the pizza. What mattered was whether or not this pizza made you want to eat and get those calories, and whether it boosted morale for the warfighters. Once the pizza received the official stamp of approval, it was sent off into circulation. DEVCOM conducted a series of field tests and asked the warfighters to rate the pizza on a scale of 1 to 9, 1 being the worst and 9 being the best. The pizza consistently received above a 7. 7 above 7, I want to say 7.5, is pretty good for a, good. a savory entree. You know, because M&M's would be, what, 8.5? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> per usual, Michelle was underselling it. Receiving a seven was a huge deal. Matter of fact, I was speaking to one of the psychologists that run the field test, and he told me this last year. He's like, yeah, I think the pizza was one of the top-rated items, one of the top three items. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. And he's like, well, let me go check. And so he checked, and he said it was definitely the top five. David adds. And uh, it was called by some of the folks who worked here in combat feeding division the holy grail of MREs. After five years of work, implementing new technologies, facing obstacle after obstacle, the pizza was finally a success. So much so that it won the Major General Harold J. Green Innovation Award. The award is given out every year to new and innovative technologies from across the Army. It's usually won by teams that design life-saving tourniquets or ballistic combat shirts. Everyone on the team was shocked that their pizza won. One of the other winners was for a army scientist who developed improved body armor. Wow. So that, that shows you how important this award is and the recognition of the achievement. Mm-hmm. And so do you think this was kind of a recognition that food is just as important as the weapons and the gear and everything else? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, it, it, it won the award. It was mm-hmm. that important. Yeah. But for Michelle... The award wasn't the true victory. For her, it was the feedback from the warfighters. I was talking to a new recruit, and he said that he had the shell-stable pizza, and he really liked it. And, you know, a co-worker said, oh, Michelle developed that. And so there was a sense of pride there. But the innovation doesn't end at the pizza. They're continuing to build off the technological advancements of the pizza to improve other MREs. Inside DEVCOM's test kitchen, we met with Matt Kaminsky, the food technologist who developed an MRE dessert recipe alongside food scientist Tom Yang. I brought the flavor and he brought the food science aspect to it, and uh, we were able to kind of create something. And that something was a shelf-stable cheesecake that tasted like a cheesecake. You can eat the cheesecake as is, and it's still moist, and it's using intermediate moisture technology. That intermediate moisture technology 
is the same technology they used in the MRE pizza. So what's next for Michelle? I always wanted to work for NASA in the food arena. And um, so now what I do is I actually provide them with irradiated entrees two to three times a year. So something that I have made is out in space being consumed. To me, the creation of this pizza and the other MREs is a true scientific feat. And the folks who select the Major General Green Innovation Award obviously agree with me. But for Michelle, this was just another day at the office. I don't know if you feel like numb to it because it's just like your job, but like it is so cool. I do, because <laughs> when I tell it to other people, they're excited and I'm thinking, oh, I thought this was just normal. But the rest of us know this isn't normal. It's extraordinary. How did you all celebrate? Did you have a pizza party? No. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to our friends from the podcast Proof from America's Test Kitchen for sharing that episode. If you like that one, be sure to check out some of the other episodes from Proof. There's one about the chicken tender capital of the country and the first butter sculptor at the Iowa State Fair. Just search for Proof in your podcasting app. I also want to mention that Proof host Kevin Pang, friend of the Sporkful, has a new book out. He actually co-wrote it with his dad, Jeffrey Pang, and it's called A Very Chinese Cookbook, 100 Recipes from China and Not China, But Still Really Chinese. I was happy to write a blurb for this book. It is really excellent, and it's available now wherever books are sold. Next week on the show, I talk with Tiffany Barrier, an award-winning spirits and cocktail educator. She rose to fame in the bartending world for her work at One Flew South, a famous bar and restaurant that happens to be inside the Atlanta airport. She tells me about the unique challenges of working at an airport bar and a new book she contributed to about African-American bars and bartenders. That's next week. Why wait for that one? Check out last week's show with Sola L. Whaley. She tells me why her latest cookbook is like an antidote to culinary school and why she thinks culinary school is a scam even though that's where she did meet her future husband over a pile of chicken carcasses. That episode's up now. Check it out. Now back to Kevin one more time for the proof credits. Thanks to producer Alex Kern-Cartarelli for bringing us today's story. This episode of Proof is hosted by me, Kevin Pang, and the podcast is made by the following cast of characters. I'm Yumi Araki, the managing producer. I'm executive producer Caitlin Kelleher. I'm supervising producer Caroline Rickard. I'm Terrence Johnson, and I'm the associate producer. I'm Alex Curran Cartarelli, and I'm also an associate producer. I'm Lindsay Pollavoy, and I'm the TV and podcast intern. I'm Bridget Lancaster, creator and the founding host and producer. Audio services are provided by Ultraviolet Audio with sound design supervision by Matt Poynton, scoring, mixing, and sound design by Anya Gzeshik, Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds Composer Theme Music, additional music by Kyle Forster and Jordan Pearson. Ken Margolis is our director of host production and our director of production is Diane Knox. Fact-checking and additional research by Sarah D. Collins. Our deepest gratitude to everyone we met at DevCom. David, Lauren, Michelle, the entire staff. Thanks for your service. Thanks also to Paul Osby for sharing his insight on MREs. And a special thanks to Paul Adams, Cook's Illustrated's resident science editor. He really helped us with that water activity section. Thanks, Paul. Do check out his science column, Ask Paul, on cooksillustrated.com. Jack Bishop is the chief creative officer, and Dan Surratt is America's Test Kitchen's CEO. Thanks to our sponsors, The Mango Board and Plugra Premium Butter. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen. 
This show is produced by me along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producer Andres O'Hara. Our engineer is Jared O'Connell and our intern is Julia Russo. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher Studios. Our executive producers are Colin Anderson and Nora Ritchie. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Tanya Hudson in Sulphur, Louisiana, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. 